football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Sam, you didn't count me down. No, no, no. Usually I, I relay the countdown that Tyler's giving me in my ear, but you distracted me by asking me if I could hear other things, and I, I didn't. So so we just, we just went live, and nobody was ready. We're com- we are completely professional here. Can anyone hear my wife's workout in the other room? Let me know. Yeah. Let See, us that's know what you in the asked live me, chat. And I was concentrating on that and forgot the fact that there was somebody <laughs> counting down outside you know, my ear space. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. PFF NFL podcast on a Monday morning. It might be pre-recorded, but uh, it's training camp time, Sam. Mm -hmm. It's like the real football season. So we're going to preview all things training camp today. Yeah, as well as a bit of news. (laughs) The first actual piece of NFL news that's happened in a long time. I guess other than the Baker Mayfield trade, which we'd sort of talked to death beforehand. But Kyler Murray got paid. The Instagram Whatever the strategy was, it worked. The millennial Instagram strategy got him paid, got him the bag. So, good work. Man, it's a, it's a great day for, for Gen Z in general. I don't, I don't know where Kyler lands on the you know millennial Gen Z spectrum and all that stuff. I'm just saying the future is bright for those who passively, aggressively unfollow their team on Instagram. You know, there, there's yeah. a pattern that's been set. And if you make your feelings known via social media through the unfollow button you can get paid this Ky- is what the kids are learning these days kyla murray was born in 1997 97 yeah we were in high school yeah, yeah. you're you're freshly 40 at the time of this uh this showing oh, that's true by the time this goes Welcome. out i'll be the same happy age 40 again. yeah that sucks i don't like that Anyway, so, uh, what do you think? Yeah, about what Kyler do you th- Murray? So with, with, here's the Kyler thing, right? We both discussed as a player. I, you know, he's he's very good. I think he's I think he's probably worth getting him locked up. My question was about you know the the way the season finished, rough playoff run. I don't know how much you you weigh that, um, and then just the fact that. He was kind of playing games and, and trying to get this extension maybe a touch early. And, and, and you know, that that gave me a little bit of pause if I was maybe the, the Cardinals making this move. But one of the takeaways, though, is so first off, it's five years, $230 million in total value, $46 million APY. It's at 46.1, so just mm-hmm. above Deshaun Watson in APY. So clearly that was a number that he cared about. But it dwarfs, or it doesn't dwarf, but it beats Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in their APY, and they've got this longer deal with more flexibility and all that stuff. It continues to make the Bills and the Chiefs situation look really, really good for the next eight or nine years, does it not? Yeah, I mean, my first reaction is because the deal was so obviously, you know, built off that Deshaun Watson deal in terms of overall money, um, average per year, the Cardinals did incredibly well to come out of this with so little, quote-unquote, guaranteed. Like, remember the Deshaun Watson deal, one of the things, generally there was this report that half the league hates the Browns for the Deshaun Watson deal. Not because they signed a guy or traded for a guy who's, you know, under investigation for sexual misconduct, but because they gave him a fully guaranteed $230 million deal. And that is a precedent that the league does not want, or the owners do not want, this idea of fully guaranteed contracts for any extended period of time. So with that precedent set for the Cardinals to come out of this with much less than the $230 guaranteed, I think is a win. Um, Because obviously this deal was kind of built off the Watson contract in terms of overall numbers. And they've had to guarantee a much smaller proportion 
than the Browns did with Watson. Um, so I think that is a win for the Cardinals. And then you say, well, you know, is, is Kyla Murray worth being the second best paid quarterback in the NFL, I guess, because Aaron Rodgers' deal is number one. Um, probably not, but that's, not, that's never the fair way of looking at this, right? Because he's the deal that gets done now, right? Lamar Jackson right. will be the next deal that gets done now. And it's, it's not, are you the best player in the NFL? It's, are you a player that's very good at, an, at the most important position whose deal is up right now? because that is going to propel you to being number one. And then in a couple of years, you won't be because five more guys will have signed or whatever. So in two years, it's Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow are almost certainly going to be making more. So Lamar Jackson's probably going to be in that range. You're right. So it's just, you're the guy, right? At one point, Derek Carr, right? Like was the highest paid and it wasn't even that egregious. And then, you know, he got leapfrogged. So I don't think it's really the right question to be asking. It's does Kyla Murray deserve a big money extension is effectively the, the question. Yes or no. And this was the, the question that was facing the Browns of Baker Mayfield a year ago. And they decided, no, or let's, at least let's wait and see. The Cardinals decided to give it to Kyla Murray right now. And, I mean, I don't think you can argue with it. Kyla Murray has had, you know, a, a late sort of second half of the season collapse last year. But I, don't, I think that, to me, feels more like a Cliff Kingsbury issue than a Kyla Murray issue. Um, and if you look in the first half of the year, you know, before he got hurt, Kyla Murray was absolutely cooking, still finished with, I think, was it the best uh, big-time throw rate of any quarterback in the NFL last year? Certainly, Just won 8% last year, big-time throw rate. Really, really impressive. Right, crazy. I mean, that's almost a full percentage point higher than Jameis Winston um, and kind of two full percentage points higher than anybody else. So, like, Aaron Rodgers won MVP with a 6.1% big-time throw rate. Kyler Murray was at 7.9. Like, his rate of incredibly high-end plays last year was nuts, even with that, um, you know, cool-down of performance down the stretch. So, I think, ultimately, the Cardinals have been vindicated. You know, they it took a lot of balls for them to say, no, you know what, to hell with Josh Rosen. I know we picked him in the first round a year ago. Kyla Murray is the guy. He's special enough to go back to the well, grab a quarterback again, and figure out what we're going to do with Rosen later. They made that move. I think they've been entirely justified by that. Murray is the guy. Um, is he perfect? No. Is he? You know, does he have some things to work on? Absolutely. But he's justifying of this deal, and now they just need to institutionally figure out why the team can't sustain playing well down the second half of seasons. So using PFF grades, we've seen Kyler improve every single season. 61 passing grade as a rookie went up to 77 in his second year, up to 86.7 last year. His improvement has coincided with the Cardinals' improvement. I know we talk about the way the Cardinals' seasons have ended the last two years, but if you take a step back and you look at it at a high level, they have improved every year. Again, it doesn't always mean you're going to – it's not like Madden where you just add two points every single year and you're going to get better all the time. But it is, it is good to see, especially a guy like Kyler. I think the improvements that he has made are in the right areas, throwing to the middle of the field, throwing at the intermediate level. His improvement has coincided with DeAndre Hopkins showing up in 2020, as we talked about on the last show. So um, there's a lot of different ways to break this down, though. But I think from an Arizona standpoint, remember, it, it's a binary decision is basically what you're saying, right? We're either yeah. paying this guy or we're not. And you can't play around with, well, what if we just pay him $30 million? Like, that doesn't exist right, it's not for on the a quarterback. Kyler Murray's going to walk. It's either yes or no. Um, I'm I'm far more in the yes camp for Kyler Murray than the no camp because the, the alternative is a little scary, right? The alternative is, okay, what do you do now? As much as I like to talk about, well, the rest of the league, the, the quarterback level is higher, the baseline's higher maybe than it was 10 years ago. If you have a guy, and I think Kyler is a top eight to 10 type of quarterback from a production standpoint, right? I mean, I think that's a fair place to to slot him. Um, is he QB 10? Is he QB 11? Like you could put eight or nine guys ahead of him probably, um, but Brady will retire and Rodgers will retire and Kyler's gonna, you know, probably in that range, you know, for the foreseeable future. The alternative is, you know, purgatory again and, and, and being in that middle ground with a cheaper quarterback. And that's still, that's a little scary. So I would pay for the certainty. Knowing what you have, 
financially in Kyler Murray. And then you just got to, you got to make good decisions building that roster around him with what you have for, left in, in resources. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to that idea of the, you know, the Matt Ryan inflection point that we've talked about before. And is he above or below that line? And if he's below, you probably walk away and look for something different. Um, and I think now it's not even like, are you above or below the line? It's, can you be above or below the line, you know, in a given season? Because you could argue Matthew Stafford has been below the Matt Ryan inflection point for the majority of his career, but he's capable of being above it. And he's capable of being above it in particular for a short period of time, which is really what happened last year. Like as much as Matthew Stafford's numbers were crazy last year and the production of the offense overall with the Rams and Sean McVay and Cooper cup was, you know, off the charts, EPA per play and, Um, yards and all those kinds of things, the numbers were nuts. Matthew Stafford's PFF grade didn't really change, certainly in the regular season. It was basically Matthew Stafford again. And they just added him to a much, much better uh, set of, you know, peripheral pieces. And the, the sum of the whole was way better than anything we'd seen in Detroit. But then Matthew Stafford got much better in the playoffs. And that run is what took them to a Super Bowl. So... The, the, the Rams, like all you needed was a guy who was generally in and around the Matt Ryan inflection point. And then for a period of four or five games, he went way above it. And that's what took them to a Super Bowl. Kyla Murray is absolutely capable of that, right? He's capable of A, being above that point, I think generally, but he's also definitely and has shown already that he's capable of being above that point for you know a run of games and if the cardinals are good enough to a figure out why they keep collapsing late in the season like if they last year right instead of imagine a world where instead of arizona sort of stumbling into the playoffs and backing in and then just getting whooped imagine a world where they actually hit the playoffs playing their best football kyle murray was playing like he was at the start of the season and all of a sudden the cardinals are like a live super bowl contender based largely off the play of kyle murray a quarterback like that that's what you're paying this money for. He is good enough to keep you in and around contention every season, and then he's capable of a run that can win you at everything. And the other point, as a player, he can win in different ways, right? He is one of those guys, if you do choose to build the run game around him, uh, he can run the design run game, he can scramble, he can steal yards on the ground and be that type of threat. We, you mentioned the big-time throw rate. That's because he is such a good deep ball thrower but he has improved at the intermediate level he's a pretty good short thrower so he's got all of the skills so uh look i think i'm on board with kyler Murray as a player the thing where i i have questions it's it seemed like he he took the he took the loss hard um like any competitive quarterback might took the playoff loss hard but he, you know, there was, you know, quotes about him, you know, saying, oh, you know, why, why, why is everybody blaming me? And you know, there was, there was a little bit of that, like some sulky, yeah, sulkiness coming out of there. And it's, it's to me, it's the off-field stuff. Like, not that it's huge, not that it's massive. It's just in a world where you have to pay him or not, those are the things that pop up where it's like, all right, is is he? Can I trust him to be the guy to take full responsibility for wins and losses? Yeah. Right, take was- responsibility going forward and and that would be like the only concern that i have maybe and it was in game as well like remember that was one of those manning cast games um and they were down it wasn't a huge man they were down like you know three scores maybe and they had russell wilson on with the mannings at the time and wilson was like right now you know i'd be going along the sidelines i'd be telling everyone you know we can do this let's go like this is not done we can the comeback starts now kind of thing and then it like cuts to Kyla Murray on the sideline, like head down, you know, just looking dejected and, and beaten and miserable, right? And they're probably like, look, Russell Wilson gets a lot of crap for the sort of corniness of how he exists. And there's probably something to the idea of like, I don't know how I don't know how much of the Russell Wilson stuff is is just that corny crap and how much is actually real. But there probably is something to that that those quarterbacks, whether it's Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, the guys that have executed stupid comebacks like that before it's because they don't ever think it's done you know like Tom Brady wasn't sitting there looking up at the scoreboard in 28-3 going oh well like I had to lose one eventually you know he was like no this is just this is the start right it's step by step we'll get back into this obviously in that game Kyler Murray didn't feel that now is that a permanent sort of uh, aspect of his disposition 
Is he a quarterback that, you know, gets in an ugly situation and doesn't feel that he can come back from it and blah, blah? Or was that just a learning experience and this is part of Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray's growth and how he'll get better? And, you know, it's a fair point to say that that's a separator between Kyler Murray and Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or like these quarterbacks who have done things like that and, you know, don't obviously have their heads drop when the situation's bad, but it's not, it's not the, it's not, uh, uh, it doesn't preclude him from doing that. It's not like the thing that should cost him this contract. All right. So Kyler gets paid Cardinals make the move. Kyler Murray locked up as their guy. Let us know. What do you think? Is that the right move? for the Arizona Cardinals. Don't forget the best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their best ball mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year win. Champion of best ball mania last year drafted in June. So there's no time like the present to join Underdog and take your shot at a million dollar draft. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. All right, Sam, training camp, it's upon us. Let's get into some of the training camp stories. And look, I know we've talked about a lot of this stuff all off season. And I don't know that we're necessarily going to get a ton of answers right away in training camp for some of these things, but what are you going to be looking for when it comes to the buzz and what the beat writers are reporting coming out of training camp? Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously training camp is not the be all and end all. It doesn't necessarily prove uh, anything. You can have guys that look great in training camp. You can, and then you get to the regular season, it doesn't show up and, and all these kinds of things, but it is the first glimpse at some things that are really just speculation right now. And in particular, sort of scheme things, I think, are kind of interesting once you get to training camp. So the most obvious one of those is the conversation that we've had for a while is the Miami Dolphins. Like, what does this offense look like with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and Tua and Mike McDaniel bringing whatever his version of the Shanahan system is over to Miami? This is our first look at what that's going to look like, and in particular, how those two guys – Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle coexist in the same offense. So I'm fascinated to see what that looks like early on. So if Tyreek Hill is just getting by the, behind the defense all day, we'll say it's working. Like that's what he was doing in Chiefs training camp early on. It was like, who's this Tyreek Hill guy? Alex Smith keeps hitting him deep right. back in 2016 or whatever it was. And 2016 and 17, you just saw him dominate in camp. I think some of that stuff matters if we keep hearing about the big plays coming out of Miami. But it's more like it's more from a sort of deployment point of view, you know, like how how are they lining up? How what kind of routes are they both running? Like how are they being used and deployed within this offense? Is it interchangeable? Are you seeing Tyreek Hill and Waddle essentially swap positions every few plays? Are you seeing one guy, you know, very definitively pegged into a certain spot and then the other guy in a completely different you know, alignment or role, just how those two are going to uh, connect within this offense is really interesting. All right. One thing I'll be looking forward to is Jimmy G on the trading block. It sounds like the Niners are going to be listening to trades. I don't know why it ended up taking this long because, you know, where does Jimmy G go at this point? It was his does injury. He... That was the thing, right? He, he went and had surgery kind of off on his own. And then they're yeah. stuck without being able to kind of trade him at that point. No, I know. It's so at this point, whether it's, I mean, look, surgery, surgery at this point, can he even do anything, any, anything as a starter? Like the only place he would go and start is maybe Seattle, but as a lot of our listeners and the bets are coming in, Sam, the bets are flowing uh, in favor of drew lock and, and some others. Uh, there's, there's, there's some drew lock believers out there. So I think, you know, Garoppolo would go and improve the Seahawks quarterback situation I mean, but you know, maybe not. Sometimes I think you need to just take a step back and and ask yourself what's what's gone wrong with your life when you're willing to put a bet on Drew Locke, you know? Like where where we'll have we'll where... have an official show where we will accept or decline, but I glanced at one of the emails, the follow-up from our friend a couple times ago, a couple shows ago. He wants Drew Locke above 77 grade. He's willing to, you know, put his money where his mouth is. Yeah. Um so I guess my point is with Garoppolo, it's Seattle or bust. I think as far as starting, 
if you're talking about him as a backup, there were rumors about him going to Tampa Bay to back up Tom Brady again. There's, you know, where else would Jimmy go? Do you go to, to, is it Cleveland where he would leapfrog Jacoby Brissett once again and take over some of the starts where Deshaun Watson suspended? Like, where does it even make sense for, for Garoppolo to be traded? I mean, I, I think the interesting part of the Jimmy G thing is how do the 49ers treat this? Because in theory, you want him to be in the shop window, right? So that you can potentially trade him somewhere. But any kind of any placing him in the shop window is taking snaps and reps away from Trey Lance, who is you're, you're going to be your starter. So what do I you... don't honestly, I don't think that matters. You don't need to like what, what people don't need to see Jimmy Garoppolo. They're not going to see him in training camp. They don't need to see him in the preseason or anything like that. Well, I, I just wonder like, what do you do with him if you're the 49ers? Because I don't want to, give him any first-team reps that are taken away from Trey Lance. So does he just sit no, on the sideline waiting until you cut him? He's your backup. Because you're not. I don't, I don't think the 49ers are going to be able to trade him. Like, the only way they can trade him, in my eyes, is if they do something like the, the, the Browns did with Baker Mayfield and eat a giant chunk of his money. And I don't think it's worth it for the 49ers to do that. So to me, they're going to hang on to him until, like, a couple of days before week one and then release him so that at least at the very minimum – you're hurting whoever signs him in terms of like how quickly he can get up to speed with a new offense and, you know, learn the playbook and all those kinds of things. At which point he really just kind of sits there not doing an awful lot and just hoping he doesn't get hurt. I mean, at this point, why not just keep Garoppolo as your backup? Cause it doesn't matter what you're paying him. It's the, it's the last year of his contract. You've already made all the moves you need to make essentially for this season. So you don't need extra cap space. You have almost $5 million in cap space. That's enough to get through the season essentially why not just keep Garoppolo as your backup and if Trey Lance is either if he's just not good or if he gets hurt you have the best backup in the NFL and Jimmy G because I don't think I mean I don't know it's tough to it's tough to get a gauge on what the 49ers really think of Trey Lance but I as much as there's been some positive talk recently the over overall tenor of what you've been hearing about their relationship with Trey Lance has not been one of, you know, overwhelming support and pure confidence. And, you know, this is our guy. We're about to go to the Super Bowl, baby celebration, you know, woo. like this has not been, it's not been that. So I think the last thing you want is Jimmy G hanging around. And in particular, you know, we've, Ari Mayroff has said, and there's been reports about this that like, Jimmy G is a popular guy in that locker room. There's a lot, there's a big contingent of that roster that believes in him, that likes him, that thinks he can be the guy, you know, to take this team to a Super Bowl and win. Again, you, you don't want that hanging around with Trey Lance. If Trey Lance has a crappy couple of weeks to start the season, throws a couple of interceptions, A, the media starts bringing this up. Well, we got a quarterback controversy, but B, half the locker room is like, dude, put the good guy back in. Like, what are we doing here? There were a, a couple former Patriots who, um, on a podcast recently saying Jimmy G was like when he got hurt in 2016 when he replaced Brady, uh, you know he had to miss a game because of a shoulder injury, and they were trying to say, oh yeah, the shoulder was fine, and it was his non-throwing shoulder, which is it it was his throwing shoulder, collarbone shoulder. Um, so it was some misinformation out there by some former Patriots. I forget was it Legarrette Blunt maybe I forget exactly who it was, but. Um, they were implying that they didn't love Jimmy G and his his toughness. They felt like he backed out of a game, and you're telling me the Niners love him. I'm not saying all you know, of them. That, I'm saying there, there's yeah. reportedly a big chunk of people that yeah. are that really do like Jimmy G and think he's good. I'm just saying, you for a quarterback that is not, you know, a guaranteed superstar right out of the gate with Trey Lance. I think the last thing you want is Jimmy G hanging around over his shoulder and. Listen to that, though. Listen to yourself. Because if Trey Lance isn't a superstar, isn't a guy, you could bench him. And you could put Garoppolo in there, a guy that you just went to the NFC. The only two times Jimmy Garoppolo has been a healthy starter with the 49ers, they went to the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl. A guy that you know you can win with. You're paying him the money this year anyway. If Trey Lance is not good or gets hurt, you have Garoppolo. Like, you should keep him if you're the Niners. Forget about the touchy-feely, you know, the – the team's going to be calling for Garoppolo. Just deal with it. Yeah. And but give Trey Lance some competition. No, because here's the thing. If Trey Lance doesn't work out, like if you missed, I think you're screwed. Like, I think that's that's a franchise crippling mistake that will. No, you could save your season, though. 
You could save your season with Garoppolo. I mean, I don't think in well. week seven, like last year, the Niners weren't even good until week seven and Garoppolo came in and played well enough that they went to the NFC championship because yeah. they have everything else in place. You don't have to have a lost season just in case Trey Lance isn't good. So I, I, I say the Niners, long, but I'm not saying a lost them. season. I'm saying the next three years are, are boned. If you, if you missed on Trey Lance and you traded three first round picks to go get him, you've got Jimmy Garoppolo's contract sitting on the, the roster as well. Like if you missed on that, this franchise is not winning anything for the next couple of years, and you're going to need to figure out a way. It's of an like, off-season issue. Deal not, with that when you have to deal with it. Bottom line for me is you've already paid Jimmy Garoppolo your, his money. You just you just keep him. I think you keep him, and you have some insurance. You declare Trey Lance as the starter. You give him every every chance to succeed, but you get the best backup in the NFL. Overpaid backup, but you've already paid the money, so you're already on the books. Well, you're not, though, because this deal isn't guaranteed until week one. Like, you can save money. <laughs> That's a pretty big part of the, the Jimmy G thing. And giving Trey Lance the best chance to succeed, part of that, I, in my opinion, involves removing the threat of Jimmy G from the scenario. Does the, does the money even matter from a team-building standpoint? They don't need extra money. From a team-building standpoint, I don't know if it's like save some cash, 49ers, but it doesn't matter from a – from a team building standpoint. No, I think so that, the, I mean, the, the matter is having Trey Lance lo- or having Jimmy Garoppolo looming over the shoulder of Trey Lance every time he throws the ball to a DB. I, I will reiterate if Trey Lance can't handle having a backup quarterback, then he's not your guy. It's not if about- he can't handle having a good backup quarterback or a little bit of buzz around the backup, then he's, he's not your guy anyway. Right, but that's not the overall point. The point being, if half the locker room believes the other guy is better, now you've got real problems. Yeah, touchy-feely Sam in the quarterback room again. Get all the feels. All right, what else are you looking for here in training camp? What are we, what are we looking for? What, what else we uh, we want to hear the buzz about? Yeah, well, it's the first look at who is going to have any chance of emerging from that Green Bay wide receiver room. Um, you know, it, it doesn't look good on paper. In fact, it looks terrible on paper. Uh, but, you know, maybe maybe everybody's wrong. Maybe Romeo Dubs hits the ground running and looks like a superstar right from the get-go. Maybe Christian Watson looks like a superstar, you know, and manages to suddenly start running a complete route tree uh, and, you know, all of his ball skill issues disappear and he suddenly looks like an absolute stud and wide receiver one from day one. Maybe Sammy Watkins rolls back the clock and we get superstar Sammy Watkins again. Like, who knows, right? But this is the first chance for somebody to show that they are a much better player than they look like on paper heading into the season and give Aaron Rodgers something to hang his hat on. It's another one where, like, the Packers beat reporters, you're going to, you know, be listening, right, and seeing, okay, Aaron Rodgers found his favorite target. You know, Alan Lazard is is getting all the targets. Or, or, you know, there's great chemistry with Sammy Watkins or whoever it may be. Uh, that I think that's the stuff that matters, and also just who's running with the first team, right? That a lot of the reports coming out of training camp, if they if they're allowed to speak on those, who are the who are the first team wide receivers? Who is the trio of receivers that are getting most of the first team reps? Uh, it, it's wide open in Green Bay. I think Lazard is one of those guys, but beyond that, um, it, but Lazard as like a two, right? As a number two, we don't know what the other options are going to be. So just hearing who those guys are, I think. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to seeing here in camp. Yeah, and again, it, like it doesn't necessarily mean anything different. Like maybe somebody lights up camp when you get to week one and it doesn't show up, but this will be the first opportunity to see if there is an obvious candidate. You know, the, the question has been, okay, who who replaces Devontae Adams? Because that there doesn't look like there's anybody on the roster right now that has any realistic chance of achieving that. But training camp is the first chance for somebody to be different and to actually, you know, buck that idea and, and just show up and say, no, this, this guy has a shot to replace what he, what Adams brought. Obviously he won't cool. be as good a player, but you know, maybe he gets closer than you thought he could. What about the chiefs and their receivers? To me, it's a similar situation. It's different, but the similarities are okay. Who, who are we hearing Patrick Mahomes has the, has the chemistry with, who is he throwing to? How are, how is Juju Smith Schuster fitting into the offense? Does the offense look different? Uh, are they throwing short, deep more? I mean, it's, it, there's elements of that that I want to hear about too. Is is Sky Moore instantly making an impact? I will say, with wide receivers, there are some guys who just hit the ground running, and it's you know Justin Jefferson is immediately good. 
there's other guys who take some time to develop. Last year at this time, remember how much we overreacted. Jamar Chase had some drops in camp and in preseason, right? But it wasn't that he wasn't handling the speed of the game or he wasn't getting open or anything like that. It was just he was dropping the ball. But there are some guys who just can't pick up the offense. And like If Sky Moore isn't picking up the offense, are we hearing that Marquez Valdez-Scantling is – you know, getting behind the defense once a practice and creating big plays for the Chiefs, you know. So I want to see what the Chiefs wide receiver core looks as, as well, looks like as well, of course, beyond Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, the most interesting part about Kansas City's offense and training camp is going to be, like, have they have they learned to figure out the things that were causing them problems last year, right? The the proliferation of those too high coverage shells, um, the the kind of struggles with just being patient and not turning the ball over, I don't think you're going to get a good answer to that in training camp. I, one, I, the Chiefs' right. defense, I don't think, shows enough of that kind of look that they would see it regularly anyway. And B, it's a totally different type of pressure. Like, in-game, you could see Kansas City would start off fine. They'd go on a drive, and then there'd, there'd be a mistake, and everybody would tighten up, and there would be more mistakes. I don't think that happens in training camp. Like, I just you just don't care as much about turning the ball over so I don't, I don't think we're going to get a good answer to that um in training camp I just as much as yeah there's a lot of interesting things to find out about this Chiefs offense that's one where I don't think you're going to get a great look at it in camp what else are you looking for in training camp here Sam um the Russell Wilson Denver thing the whole offense what that looks like what Russell Wilson looks like what the offense is going to try to be um you know this whole Russell Wilson dynamic is a really interesting thing to watch. And obviously, you know, what, what his effect is on Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler and the, the talented receivers that they have but haven't necessarily dominated the way we think they can, is that still on the cards? You know, are they really just a Russell Wilson away from crushing it and, you know, Jerry Judy becomes a star, Cortland Sutton becomes an elite number one, K.J. Hamler becomes, you know, their version of Deshaun Jackson, the, the perennial deep threat. Um just what that offense looks like and how successful it looks like it's going to be. I'll give you a little preview. It's going to look something like this. Nathaniel Hackett or whoever is talking about Russell Wilson, it's like just a joy. It's just a joy to be around. Nobody works harder than Russell Wilson. It is. And then you'll get some kind of quote that's like, I've never had a quarterback with this level of skill set. Hmm. And people are going to say, whoa, you had Aaron Rodgers. Are you saying Russell Wilson is better than Aaron Rodgers? It's like, no, I'm just saying He's got yeah the, the most the, the best skill set we've ever seen. He can make all the throws and he's mobile and there's so much we could do with him. And he's way ahead of schedule with knowing the offense. Like we thought he was going to be here, but he's way ahead. Russ just there's there's nothing he can't do. Russell Wilson. So I think the buzz is going to be high coming out of tra- training camp with the Broncos. Russell Wilson. Everybody's saying all the great things he could do. He looks healthy. He's rejuvenated. He's refreshed. It's a new area, blah, blah, blah. And he's, uh, I, I think the buzz is going to be strong coming out of Denver. And then I don't know if we ever see any of the preseason, how much we see any of these guys in the preseason, to be honest, but it would be good to at least get like a little bit of a look for uh, Russell Wilson and the new offense if possible. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see what type of offense they try and construct around Russell Wilson and to what extent they try and moderate his you know, tendencies as a player, because we heard for years, you know, just let Russ cook. And there was this feeling that Pete Carroll and that offense, even though the offense was changing fairly regularly, that they were holding Russell Wilson back, right? And they were somehow responsible for this gap between Russell Wilson's production and the theoretical maximum efficiency of having an elite quarterback and what you should be doing with play calling, all those kinds of things. Um, I, I think we still don't know how much of that was Pete Carroll, the, the coaches, the offense generally, and how much of it is part of the bargain of a, a quarterback like Russell Wilson. Like this is how he plays the game, and to an extent, you're not going to change it. And to an extent, the way that Russell Wilson plays the game simply is not the most efficient way of playing quarterback, right? And that's why as, as great as Russell Wilson has been, and we're talking like really fine margins here, but as great as Russell Wilson has been, there's a gap between him and Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or, you know, the quarterbacks that have been the very, very best this game has ever seen. Russell Wilson is not going to play with that degree of efficiency 
because of the way he plays the game. I, I think for me, if you look at what Hackett did, what, what they what they did in Green Bay the last couple of years, let's not forget Aaron Rodgers is coming off of back-to-back MVPs, but there was a downtick in his, it, not just a little bit in his play, but mostly in the production, right? PFF grade was pretty strong, but the offense's production was way down for a few years in Green Bay where Rodgers wasn't taking the easy stuff. When he slumped, there were points in his career where he just wasn't taking the easy stuff. And it seemed like Matt LaFleur and Hackett, they, they did a better job of getting, extracting the easy, right? The quick the quick passing game, the, the easier wins from a production standpoint. They extracted those out of Aaron Rodgers. I think last year they tried to do that in Seattle with Russell Wilson, but they started to miss a chunk of the intermediate part of the field and other places to attack. So that's like that balance. You know what I'm saying? The big plays should be there for Russell Wilson. He is still a fantastic deep ball thrower, but what do you do on the other plays? How much quick game, how much of the underneath stuff do you want to give him? How many of the layups do you want to build into the offense? Cause I think Hackett has those, right? How many of those do you want to give him? Will he take them? And, and if you, if you give him too many, do you lose some of what makes him special? So I think that is the balance we'll be, we'll certainly be looking to see in Denver this season. And obviously whether Jerry Judy, you know, goes to the moon. Yeah. Jerry Judy, the moon. Well, how good are those receivers? Can anybody be better than the great Tim Patrick over mm. there? Uh, well, here's one thing for me, Sam. Sometimes you have reports out of camp where one side is just dominating the ball, right? A defense is just dominating an offense or vice versa. I think those are sometimes telling if you just get other times it's like, Hey, the defense got the better this today and the offense the next day or whatever it is. But there are some days where it's like, man, this offense just can't complete a pass. And those are when you're talking about predictions for the season, sometimes you do get some information uh, there. If you have a receiving core, that's just overwhelmed by a secondary or whatever it might be. So I'm always, I always keep my ear ears open for those types of reports coming out of camp. Yeah. Um, those and uh i think there is something to like you said before right some some receivers in particular they just hit the ground running immediately like justin jefferson those kinds of things every every cut you know you the the ones where we just got it wrong collectively as a draft community as a you know as a football league and guys went rounds later than they should have based off you know just incorrectly predicting what they were going to be and those guys tend to show up really quickly. Like Russell Wilson is one of those guys, right? Went in the third round for no good reason other than, other than he was a short quarterback. Immediately became clear that Russell Wilson was a hell of a lot better than Matt Flynn and was going to be the starting quarterback right from the get-go. Dak Prescott, same thing, right? Fourth-round quarterback, all of a sudden it's like, hey, this dude is like, this guy's good. He's probably going to end up being the starter Dak Prescott ends up proving it right away. The Justin Jefferson thing. There's wide receivers every year that show up that we're like, oh, we, we're way off on this dude. He's way better. So I, that's one thing to obviously keep an eye on in any given season is like who who is getting that consistent report every single day of like this dude's just dominating training camp. Like he is a better player than everybody thought he was. And he's going to earn you know a much better opportunity. He's going to earn a starting gig. He's going to be a star right from from day one. I'm interested in the Eagles too here, Sam, as far as, you know, AJ Brown, is he as advertised, right? You'll, you can see those tweets. Oh, he's as advertised. He just went up and mossed somebody. He just ran behind the, you know, outran the defense, whatever it is. I also, I don't know how much you can get from defensive tackles, but Jordan Davis, man, it, it, he's, I think Jordan Davis is just one of the biggest stories of this rookie class, right? Your planet theory, monster defensive tackle who ran in the four eights. We've never seen anything like it, but even a lot of those guys sometimes take two years to, to figure out, right. They take uh, some time to figure out pad level and taking on blocks and read diagnosing plays defensively is Jordan Davis, like the immediate savior of that run defense for the Eagles. Cause they weren't great. Uh, six man boxes last year is, you know, bottom, bottom 10, as far as, EPA per play against the run. Those are the, it it looks like the Eagles are looking for immediate impact from Jordan Davis. And are we getting reports coming out of camp that that is, that is uh, in the cards this year? I mean, also just watching Jordan Davis going up against 
uh, Jason Kelsey would be pretty hilarious to <laughs> yes. watch. Like, there's yes. like a 60 pound gap between those two guys. Like, J- Jason Kelsey is. It's going to be really fascinating to see, like, how much does veteran savvy athleticism and trickery in, was, you know, uh, offset being 60 pounds lighter than the dude who's just a monster. That was one of my favorite draft matchups a few years back. Remember Joey Hunt? He was the center at TCU, played for the Seahawks. He's with, you know, Seahawk. Um, Jordan Phillips was the defensive tackle for the for Oklahoma at 340 pounds. And Joey Hunt looked like a child yeah. going up against Phillips, using your phrase. But uh, but he held his own, you know, and you know they're both in the NFL as you know players and backups. But to an extent, I love. I, I want to see that. Yeah, to an extent, you've got some of that working in Baltimore as well with the pair of rookies, right? With Linderbaum and Travis Jones, like the same kind of idea. Yeah, undersized center going up against monster, like prototypical old school style nose tackle. Again, you've got to be talking about like a 30, 40 pound deficit at least between those two guys. Linderbaum's another interesting one. Do we? usually reporters cannot report on scheme stuff. So if, if the Ravens are doing what I was projecting them to do, you know, adding a whole bunch of outside zone wrinkles and pin and pull type of schemes to get Linderbaum in space, we might not hear those reports, but um, if we could hear those reports, I'd be interested to see how much the Ravens end up uh, adding wrinkles to their offense that, that play to his skill set, the rookie center. Um, And then obviously, I'm, I'm, we've got to be interested to watch Baker Mayfield in a new system, a new environment, in a new team. Um, For sure. That, you know, I, I think that was another smart move by Carolina in an offseason that's been largely smart moves. Like, they've they've done a lot of good things. Not all of them have been big splash plays, but they've they've ticked off a lot of kind of low, uh, low cost, but pretty smart additions. Baker Mayfield is another one of those, and – you know, the compensation was really small, both in terms of draft capital and the amount of money they're giving up, given how much Cleveland ate. Um, so as much as the, it sounds ridiculous, right, that, oh, they just traded for Baker Mayfield, and now it's an open quarterback competition between him and Sam Darnold. But it can be, right? Like, they're not, they're not so financially committed to Baker Mayfield that they just have to make him the starter. They can afford to let it play out. Now, then you get to the point of, well, okay, if this is an open quarterback competition, every single shred of data we have on both these guys suggests that that will not take very long to work out, right? That Baker Mayfield, bad Baker Mayfield is better than good Sam Darnold based off NFL evidence. Now, okay, one of them generally is at a much better situation than the other, even if, you know, that tends to get... When we say that, we tend to forget about the Freddie Kitchens year, you know? And that, and that kind of thing. Like, well, it hasn't always been a great situation for Baker Mayfield. Um, but generally, it feels like Baker should win a starting job in a competition against Sam Darnold pretty easily. And then you start to think, well, what, what can he actually do in this offense in Carolina that has done a pretty good job of, you know, repairing itself in, in this offseason? Like, they made significant additions to that offensive line, largely to, you know, replace the mistakes that they made a year ago, but still. Um, so that offensive line could actually be viable this year. We still like the idea of their receiving group, right? The ones that we loved last year for Sam Darnold heading into the season. DJ Moore is a really good receiver and seems to be pretty quarterback-proof. Robbie Anderson's production died a death last year, but is there a quarterback better suited to connect with Robbie Anderson than Baker Mayfield in terms of you know, he definitely skews on the YOLO end of the spectrum of just heave it deep and target the, the really good deep threat that you've got. We didn't see too much of Terrace Marshall as a rookie, but, you know, everybody liked his skill set coming out. Rashad Higgins connects, reconnects with Baker Mayfield. Maybe we finally get a healthy Christian McCaffrey. Like, there's a lot to work with there. Uh, it's Your tone has changed a lot with Carolina. Last offseason, we, we oh, yeah. did not like I hated like their offseason last year. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to show the unbiased nature of us here at the PFF NFL podcast. We don't hate your team. We don't hate the Panthers. We, uh, if we when we went back to our uh, to the fixing your team in five minutes segment uh, early before the draft and before free agency with the Panthers, it was a lot of like, I don't know what you do. You got no draft capital. Not the most appealing place to lure lure one of the established quarterbacks. I think they played their hand the right way. All all told, when you look back at it, Sam, if you told us, given what they had in resources, they'd get their tackle, Equanu, in the draft. They'd get 
they they draft Matt Corral in the third, and then they go get Baker Mayfield for for pennies. You know, they, it's given what where they started. I think they made a lot of good moves in addition to offensive line addi- additions and, and other things that they've done. So uh, that does make Carolina intriguing because for the nine thousandth time, I'll repeat: two out of four years, Baker Mayfield has been very good. Half of his NFL career, there's been no pattern to why but it's been good bad good bad and maybe it's a good year if it's uh you know even years are good for baker uh <laughs> but if it's another good year the panthers all of a sudden could be a decent team so we'll see how how well he's I mean, uh he's taken to their new system right here in camp the there's something about baker mayfield that makes people lose their minds right that just completely go off the deep end and hyperbole goes through the roof and all rationality just completely goes out the window. Michael Robinson was on Good Morning Football the other day suggesting that you could make a case that not only does Baker Mayfield not have one of the top 32 arms in the NFL, he's not in the top 64, and that Case Keenum has better arm talent, arm talent, than Baker Mayfield, right? And that he was he's the better quarterback because of it. Now, look... We can debate endlessly how good or not Baker Mayfield is, right? But yep. in the space of like this offseason, we've gone from he's a starting quarterback somewhere, but the question is like how good, right? Is he how much money is he worth? How you know how good in the the one to thirty two range can he get? Because that's what you need to figure out if you're going to give him a contract. To there's no difference between Baker Mayfield and Jacoby Brissett, and Case Keenum has a better arm than he does. Like, look. At the very minimum, we need to accept the self-evident, provable fact that Baker Mayfield has a very good NFL arm, right? We can talk about, like, maybe he's a moron and he throws the ball to def- like defenses way yeah, too often. debate that all day. Right, like, that's, that's open for discussion. We can talk about that for a long period of time. But you cannot argue that 64 quarterbacks have a better arm than Baker Mayfield. It's idiotic. He has... I- He's got the NFL record for the longest, like, I think, completed pass or the longest attempted pass on record. He's thrown the ball 70 yards in the air in an NFL game. He also, when they were doing, they track this stuff, right? It's like radar guns are used during the Senior Bowl and during the Combine. And Baker Mayfield was right up there with Josh Allen in terms of, like, having a howitzer attached to his shoulder. Baker Mayfield, the one thing you can't criticize about his game is that the dude has a cannon. Yes, absolute cannon, great velocity. I will not defend Michael Robinson's take. The one thing I'll say is when you use the phrase arm talent, yes, it immediately it immediately brings in, well, off-platform and touch and all these other things, right? So if you want to criticize Baker Mayfield as like a one-speed thrower, and he, which is he, he throws the ball too hard. He actually has... Um, not too good of an arm, but he just doesn't use touch it when he needs to. He doesn't throw off platform great compared to others. He throws on the run well, but not off platform. Like you could criticize parts of his game. You definitely can't stack up 40 quarterbacks and say they have a better arm than Baker Mayfield, though. That doesn't make any sense. No. All the other stuff, debate it however you want. I mean, even coming out of the draft, there was a lot of lazy analysis that like because Baker is short, that he didn't have a good arm. Yeah. And then you just pull up plays on tape. It's like, that's 60 yards in the air. That's he had one against Baylor where it was like sidearm, like a shortstop 48 yards in the air in stride under pressure. It's like, you can't, you can't just make this blanket statement because he's short or because he just had a bad year. Right. That his arm talent isn't good. There was or one, his arm isn't good. Yeah, so there was a phenomenal deep ball against Texas as well. Like it, it, you're right. It's been a thing that for some reason, there's been a group of people that from day one of just refused to acknowledge the obvious fact that Baker Mayfield has a really good arm. I think you're yeah, right. I, it is because say you hate his attitude. You don't like him off field. You hate his commercials. You don't like his touch on the ball. You don't like how it ended in Cleveland. You don't like his social media stuff. You don't like that. He ran away from the cops. You cannot like all that stuff with Baker Mayfield, but you got to love his arm. Yeah. It's really good. You really do. And yet for some reason, a ton of people have just refused to acknowledge that. Um, so, it, but anyway, my point at the start of this rant was that, like, we've lost the run of evaluating Baker Mayfield. Like, we've gone – the conversation has shifted from, okay, he's obviously a capable starter, but how good can he be, right? Is he really – is he above the Matt Ryan inflection point that we talked about with Kyla Murray because that's the important thing for giving him money? Uh, it's gone from that 
to is there any difference between Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum or Jacoby Brissett, right, in the space of an offseason? Or, you know, is Baker Mayfield really better than Sam Darnold, right? Like, what the hell are we talking about? Of course he's better than Sam Darnold. So the Carolina Panthers grabbed the quarterback. Last year he was with a busted shoulder, yes. Yeah, like the worst Baker Mayfield we've seen, right? A Baker Mayfield playing through a torn shoulder that was getting progressively worse as the season wore on to the point where people are questioning, is he any better than, than Jacoby Brissett, etc. The worst version of Baker Mayfield we've ever seen is about as good as the best version of Sam Darnold we've ever seen. Like, I need, it's absurd. <clears throat> I need to cut you off because I said, hey, let's add Baker Mayfield to the uh, to the show here today. And you're like, oh, we've talked about it enough. We'll just touch on it. Yeah, 15 minutes later. Well, don't rank him 40th in arm talent. No, don't. All right. Second-year quarterbacks under the microscope here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a, a fascinating one to watch pretty much across the board. Um, I, Mac Jones, I guess, is probably the least interesting of the group just because he's already pretty good. And the question is, like, how much better does he get? Uh, but Trevor Lawrence, I think, needs to have a big jump forward in year two overall. Obviously, that starts in training camp. Zach Wilson, the situation around him is great now. So all of a sudden, it's put up or shut up time for Zach Wilson. Show that you're legit. Uh, Trey Lance, we already talked about with the 49ers. And then it's like, what can Justin Fields do in what looks like the disaster of a situation? Like, how good can he look surrounded by nothing? I, I think the most interesting one, I mean, they're all interesting, man. I mean, what? how how are certain players going to improve? You You probably have a better situation for Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Trey Lance... It's he's in the same situation as last year, a very good one, and and things should be better. Um, and he showed flashes of of just brilliance, right? I mean, there was definitely Trey Lance in a limited sample size between preseason and regular season, did stuff that Jimmy Garoppolo can't do. Yeah. Now, quarterbacking is not about ten plays in a season that the that the next guy can't do. It's about the other six hundred, right? But you could you could see where there's some special stuff that could happen in San Francisco if Trey Lance can just get, you know, do better with the easy stuff, take better care of the ball, not throw the ball to DBs like he did. Um, With Justin Fields, though, it's like, all right, is there any sort of success? Like, is that the training camp where the offense isn't having any success, right? The the offense isn't moving the ball and the defense is getting the better of them just because the line's not great and the receivers aren't great and they don't have anybody there. I mean – with Fields, like, the best he might look this season is in training camp when, you know, the, the action isn't live as such. Like, the offensive line is no, – nobody's hitting the quarterback effectively. Like, the offensive line is not getting completely murdered. This might be as good as it gets for Fields. And if he doesn't look, you know, okay in training camp, I think there's, there's pretty big cause for concern. Not just for – I mean, for him, really. He's in a – Justin Fields is in a really unfortunate spot for him because if the Bears stink as much as they look like they could this year, like we're talking about them having a bottom two or three roster in the NFL, uh, if Fields is bad or if Fields isn't able to overcome that, the Bears are bad and they go on the way to the number one or number, you know, top three draft pick this year, it's going to be really hard for them to not draft a quarterback, right? Because by definition at that point, there's no way you're going to have seen anything from Fields to say that, yeah, he's definitely a superstar quarterback. We, we need to keep, you know, stay the course with him, use the picks on something else and build around Justin Fields. And even if he was, you've chewed up two years of his rookie contract. So the value of that is diminishing. Like through no fault of his own, Justin Fields may end up getting cast aside just because the Bears were bad enough to put themselves in position that they can draft you know, a CJ Stroud or whoever the, the top quarterback ends up being this year. Uh, and then Mac Jones can't forget about Mac Jones. He had an incredible training camp last year, including the, you know, that one practice that I always reference against the nine uh, against the giants, right. A head to head practice where he had like six incompletions like 45 for 51 or something ridiculous. If, if, if that stuff matters, but it was one of those, you know, the Patriots put a lot on him last year in training camp said, Hey, run some no huddle in the first preseason game. And, and go take all the snaps against the Giants because Cam was out, all these different things. Um, We need to make a pact, though, Sam. We need to make a pact right now. We will not overreact 
to training camp and preseason performances this year for quarterbacks. For quarterbacks. Is that fair? Or should we just do it? It's just fun. We need something to do in August. No, what should we do, do? It anyway? It's just it's fun. Like we we were able to you know rant about uh, Jamar Chase talking about concentrating on finding the laces of the football, which is why he was dropping so many and the difference between a college ball and the NFL ball. Uh, you know, we need stuff to talk about. Yeah, apparently. Turns out it didn't mean anything, but it was fun no. while it happened. You know, the idea me, of the idea of a, of a wide receiver as good as Jamar Chase is thinking about tracking the laces during you know the course of a play and catching a ball and then dropping a bunch of them whether or not it was because of that and then like hits the ground running and it's the same guy we saw in college let me just read to you for fun the preseason quarterback grades from last year okay uh mac jones had a 92.2 uh obviously that it didn't translate to a 92 but it translated to him being the best rookie quarterback last year Zach Wilson was number two at 85.7. Looked so good. It was only 20 dropbacks, but man, yeah, looked yeah. so good. 15 for 20, 191 yards, two touchdowns. Zach, that was like what Daniel Jones did a few years ago where doubters were saying, sorry, Daniel, those 20 throws were incredible. You're good. Trevor Lawrence had a 78.3. He looked really good too. You know, some he showed his brilliance. He, showed, he had a couple, couple bad plays in there. It's like, yeah, that's Trevor Lawrence. That's what his season's going to look like. Justin Fields had a 67. And uh, Trey Lance had a 56 grade. He had some special plays, but a ridiculous amount of turnover worthy plays five in just 53 dropbacks. So that's what happened last year in the preseason. It looks like, Hey, Matt Jones, Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence, they're ready to go. Justin Fields is showing signs. He's ready to take over for Andy Dalton. We got four legit players who knows Trey Lance needs a little bit more time. And then they were all terrible except Mac Jones. Well, the other thing is that Davis Mills was the worst graded rookie quarterback with a 45 grade. No big, and, and by far the most playing time of any of these guys. 72 dropbacks. Nobody else had more than 62 amongst rookie quarterbacks. Zero big-time throws in 72 dropbacks. Five turnover-worthy plays. Like, he looked like a complete and total unmitigated disaster, and he goes out there and plays as well as a rookie as, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, and uh, he earns himself a starting gig. All right, well, I'm not making any promises. Uh, which leads me to, I want to see the rookies, man. I love that first impression of all the rookies, the reports coming out, the first preseason snaps. Um, and then Kenny Pickett versus Mitch Trubisky. The the head-to-head battle between first the only first-round quarterback Mitchell in, versus Mitchell Trubisky and in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is it Trubisky's team? I, again, I've, I've said before, I'd love to see another extended you know, look at, at Trubisky in a, in a different system with really good receivers, maybe a questionable offensive line, but some great receivers to throw to. Uh, the Steelers could be a good team, even though the, the the buzz isn't great. There are some solid pieces there. And if Trubisky's solid, they can win some games you know, with Tomlin there. But I'm curious to see how quickly it's it becomes Kenny Pickett's team over there. Yeah, I mean, even just the dynamic of how those guys are functioning within the pocket, that the thing we've talked about ad nauseum about how much longer those guys hold on to the ball than certainly Ben Roethlisberger last year. Um, but that that almost feels like the thing that's going to determine whether Kenny Pickett starts or how quickly he can start is can he speed up his process? Because there's no way that even maintaining his average time to throw from college is going to fly at the NFL level. And generally speaking, that slows down for rookie quarterbacks, for young quarterbacks. So if that's the speed with which Kenny Pickett is processing and functioning, I I don't think there's any way he starts week one. But if he does, um, like if he does change and if he does immediately start to speed things up and just, you know, the whole, his whole process speeds up. I, I mean, you know, Trubisky is only keeping that seat warm. Well, as always, a lot to look at with training camp. Let us know in the comments. What are you looking for in training camp? There's only so much you can glean. You get the one-on-one battles. You get reports. You get the receivers that are taking over. I mean, I want to see Dante Moncrief. Where's Dante Moncrief going to dominate this this uh, training camp every here, Sam? Year. Yeah, every year. Every year, Dante Moncrief, a training camp star. But uh, look, it may not mean a whole lot, but we're going to analyze it and overanalyze it. We're going to do the whole thing. We're going to do it with you, and we appreciate everybody for tuning in here today. So Thursday, 
I want to answer one question per team and I want it to be fan generated. We've already had a bunch of these emailed in, but email us NFL podcast at PFF.com. Send in your question, put question in the title so we could parse those out, which team it's for. Um, and then we'll answer one question per fan. You could also do it on Twitter at PFF. It was it at NFL pod at PFF NFL pod. Sorry. Um, on Twitter, be sure to follow us, send that question in. Uh, don't ask the questions on TikTok, but follow us there anyway at PFF NFL podcast. All right. Sounds good. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Thanks to everybody for tuning in.